letter to the Romans, chapter 3. The scripture reading will begin at verse 21. As we prepare to hear God's word, let us ask his blessing that we may receive it in true faith and respond to his glory. Let us pray as we sing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us hear the Word of God. The Gospel of Jesus Christ in the letter of Paul to the Romans, chapter 3, beginning at verse 21. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, power, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now please do not answer this question out loud, especially those of you who have been in midweek Bible studies Tuesday mornings, Wednesday morning, 
Please don't answer out loud. But take a moment, everybody, to think about this question. If I were to ask you what you think is the most important word in the Bible, what would you say? God, Jesus, love, grace, cross, resurrection. There are lots of important words in the Bible. The most important word in the Bible? R.C. Sproul has said that he thinks the most important word in the Bible is that little word, but. (laughs) But. And I agree with him. Think about it. The word but means, on the other hand, however, nevertheless, to the contrary, it announces the opposite of something that has been stated. It signals a complete turnaround in the line of thinking, a completely opposite outcome from what was logically expected. And for this reason, that little word, but, may very well be the most important word in the Bible and the most important word in your life. Now, New Testament scholars largely agree that this passage for today, Romans 3, 21 through 26, is the center and heart of Paul's letter to the Romans. And by the way, we're not going to get through these five verses this morning. There's more to come, Lord willing. We're going to make our way about halfway this morning. But one scholar suggests that this passage may be, quote, possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. And guess what? This paragraph begins with that little word, but. Now we've come to the turning point in the letter to the Romans. And my prayer is that this passage also speaks to each one of us personally, about the true turning point in our lives. Now, you know, in the previous nine sermons in this series through Romans, taking us back to chapter 1, verse 18, we've been hearing the bad news, the divine indictment of all humanity before the bar of God's justice, the bad news of all humanity's Fallenness in sin, original sin, encompassing all humanity, total depravity, corrupting every aspect of our being. The bad news of the divine declaration that all humanity is guilty without excuse under the righteous wrath of God and therefore deserving of God's righteous and eternal condemnation. The bad news that not even those who claim to aspire to live decent, moral lives, not even those who have a cultured religious veneer about their lives are exempt from the judgment of God. Because as the scripture says, 
None is righteous, no, not one. And furthermore, the bad news that there is nothing that anyone can do in order to remedy this disastrous situation. Nothing that anyone can do to redeem himself or herself out of this miserable condition. Nothing that anyone can do to make himself or herself right with God because as the preceding paragraph concludes at 3.20, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. It's impossible. There it is. The whole world is accountable to God. All humanity is condemned under sin. Every mouth is shut before the bar of God's justice. There is nothing that we have to say for ourselves or to show for ourselves or to do for ourselves in order to justify ourselves in God's sight. That's it. Case closed. But, 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 oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that little word in Holy Scripture. But, but now, you see, there's the shift. There's the turnaround. Instead of only bad news, there's good news. Do you want to hear it? I mean, after nine weeks, you ought to be wanting to hear it. Desperately awaiting Are you on the edge of the pew? Begging, please, give me some good news. Have you been convinced and convicted by the bad news? Do you believe the bad news about yourself in your fallen condition? That's a personal question. Absolutely, utterly. Because until you and I have become convinced... About, until our hearts have been cut to the quick about the bad news concerning ourselves and convicted about our sinfulness and therefore the dreadful and dire condition of our personal guilt before the holy and righteous creator until we admit the bad news truth about ourselves, guilty without excuse and unable to justify ourselves, we will never really receive and believe the good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Now that's the reason that the first question of our membership vows is this. You know, we, we go through these membership vows and we tend to take them for granted and, you know, they're rather perfunctory perhaps. Listen. Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God? Justly, justly, deserving His displeasure, wrath, and condemnation without hope for your salvation. Listen to that. Without hope for your salvation. But by his sovereign mercy. So today, after nine weeks of bad news, and you know, it could have been a lot longer. We come to the good news. 
The heart of the letter of the Romans, the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the heart of the Christian faith. Are you dying to hear it? But now, the now has to do with the fact that God has acted and intervened in history to rescue us out of our miserable condition. Now something has taken place that has changed the hopeless condition of fallen humanity. As Paul wrote to the Galatians, in the fullness of time, at the right time, God sent forth His Son. And through Jesus Christ, His righteous life, His sacrificial death, His triumphant resurrection, His ascension to the throne at the Father's right hand, Through this intervention in human history, the God-man, Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God has been manifested. That is, the righteousness, the faithfulness of God by which God of His own doing saves sinners and puts us in a right standing with Himself This righteousness of God has been made known. It's been shown forth. It has been manifested apart from the law. Now what is Paul saying? In verse 20, he told us the bad news. Again, by works of the law, no human being will be justified, made right with God. But but now, there's the good news. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. There is a way to be made right with God. There is a way to a right standing, a right relationship with God. But it doesn't come through keeping the law. It doesn't depend upon you and your hoped for good enoughness. It doesn't depend upon you and how hard you try. It doesn't depend upon you and and what you do or try to do to earn a right standing with God or to deserve God's favor. It is the righteousness of God apart from the law. But, But then for clarification, Paul immediately adds, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Now that phrase in verse 21 the Law and the Prophets, refers to the Old Testament Scriptures. Paul's point is that this good news is not something that is totally and completely new. He's saying that the Old Testament Scriptures themselves bear witness to, they testify to, they reveal this righteousness of God apart from the law. Another way to say it is simply this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is in The Old Testament. Now some people make the horrible, heretical mistake of thinking that the Old Testament and the New Testament represent two different gods or two different and opposing sides of God's personality or two different ways of salvation as though, though, you know, the New Testament, the gospel of Jesus Christ were God's uh, plan B, or you know, do over, or mid course correction. Nonsense. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus is found everywhere in the Old Testament. 
and salvation by grace through faith in Christ. Salvation by grace through faith in the promised Redeemer is found throughout the Old Testament. That's Paul's point. And we will see in Romans 4 that Paul, in fact, illustrates this point by references to Abraham and to David. But we see salvation by grace through faith in the Savior in passages such as Isaiah 53, which prophesies the suffering Savior who would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The righteous one who would make many to be accounted righteous because he shall bear their iniquities. Now note especially that description of the promised Savior. The righteous one who would make many to be accounted righteous because he shall bear their iniquities. That's the cross of Jesus Christ. That righteous one is Jesus Christ. He is the one who has borne our iniquities as the apostle Peter wrote. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And Peter goes on to say, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Get that. The righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. So in Peter's letter, he's picking up on the prophecy of Isaiah 53. He's telling us that Jesus is the righteous one prophesied by Isaiah, the righteous one who by bearing our sins in his own body on the cross, suffering the wrath of God against our sins on the cross, makes all those who believe in him to be accounted righteous, to be given a right standing with God. Jesus Christ is the one and only one who brings us safely and securely into the presence of God because only Jesus Christ is perfectly righteous and has offered up his perfectly righteous life as the substitutionary sacrifice for all our sins. And therefore, back now to Romans 3.22... Paul tells us that the righteousness of God, a right relationship with God, comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. As I was writing this sermon, by the way, I didn't write this down, but I'll share it with you. As I was writing this sermon, suddenly it just popped into my brain, that, that Capital One credit card commercial, it just popped in. I thought, no, I don't put that in there, but I'm going to do it. What's in your wallet? (laughs) Right? What's in your wallet? Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to believe in? Who are you going to count on? Who are you going to depend on? Yourself? Good intentions? Efforts to justify yourself? Hope against hope that maybe you've done enough? I hope not. Because by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. No, what you and I need and must have for our salvation is the righteousness of God apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ because Jesus paid it all. What's in your wallet? 
Now, Jesus told a parable which illustrates this point. Um, It's in the Gospel of Luke, and Luke tells us that Jesus told it to, quote, some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, a religiously strict man, a law keeper. And the other, a tax collector, a, a dishonest collaborator with the Romans, an outcast from the Jewish community. The Pharisee, the the self-righteous man, prayed like this. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now, of course it's a good thing not to be an extortioner or an adulterer or unjust in any other way. Of course that's good. It's a good spiritual discipline to fast and to give tithes. All of that is fine and good, but it won't do you any good if by doing those things you are seeking to get in good with God. The self-righteous are never justified in God's sight. And then Jesus went on with that parable saying, but the tax collector standing far off, not in the temple, but far away from it, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I deserve nothing but your wrath. But please, by your grace, I beg for your mercy. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. You see, that that parable which Jesus told is all about the righteousness of God apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe because it is in Christ alone that God has given to us His mercy. Now that tax collector in the parable, confessing himself to be a sinner guilty without excuse, justly condemned. He was not demanding what he thought he deserved from God, but he was rather begging for mercy, ready to receive it as a gift. How about you? And the Apostle Paul himself illustrated this righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ by reference to his own life in his own personal testimony. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul wrote about his own religious pedigree, his personal religious zeal as a law-keeping Jew, the things that he was trusting in, relying on, counting on for his righteousness, a righteousness through the law. And so Paul wrote, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, very strict law-keeper. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He persecuted the church because he believed that Christians were blaspheming God by worshiping Jesus. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. In other words, no one, no one could find fault with his obedience to the Jewish law. But then he continues. But, there's that little word, 
But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, status in the Jewish community, economic security, personal pride and reputation. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. His spiritual identity was no longer in himself, but in Christ. Here it is. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. There it is. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But... That which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's exactly what this passage from Romans 3, 21 and following is all about. In very personal terms. This is is not merely abstract theological doctrine. This was Paul's personal testimony. This is God's truth. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, which is is to be personally appropriated into our lives by faith in, in Christ. God has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. God has provided a way for you and me and everyone who places their faith in Jesus to have an eternally right, eternally secure, eternally blessed relationship with Him. This is the good news answer to the bad news problem. The bad news problem, again, is the wrath of God revealed against all unrighteousness and our helplessness under sin. And the good news answer is the righteousness of God, a right standing with God through faith in Jesus Christ, who is our substitutionary sacrifice for all our sins. Your standing with God doesn't depend upon you, what you have done, what you might try to do. This is a great, the the gospel humbles the proud, but it exalts the lowly. If anyone is staggering under a burden of guilt, wishing, oh, how I wish I could go back and turn back the hands of time, undo what I have done. I know what that feels like. I can't do it. But Jesus Paid it all. All to him. Oh, sin had made a crimson stain. He washed it. White as snow. Have you? Will you? Even if you've been a Christian for as long as you can remember from childhood. Will you again today place your faith in Christ alone? And therefore, will you, like a man or woman released from prison, like a man or woman pulled out of the eternal fire, like a man or woman raised from the dead, will you resolve anew today to live for him with a happy heart in glad and grateful obedience to his word because you know he loves you and you know he died for you and you know he reigns in heaven for you. Paul sums up this good news and tells us how to respond to it in verse 23, which 
which many of you, I'm sure, have memorized at least uh, the first half of it. As I said, we're not going to get through this whole passage, and we're going to come back to this, Lord willing, next week. There is no distinction, no distinction between Jew and Gentile, no distinction in humanity at all. All humanity, all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God, and therefore are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Faith is simply the empty hand of the beggar, the open mouth of the starving child, which receives the gift of God freely given in Jesus Christ. So look within and examine yourself. Is your confidence before God based on a righteousness that is your own through your own estimation of your good enoughness? Or are you resting and rejoicing in that righteousness, which is not your own, but is a gift? The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Brothers and sisters, give God the glory. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the glorious gospel of your Son, our Savior, and we pray that The Holy Spirit will continue to work the truth of your word in us to renew our minds that we might in the living of our lives be more conformed to the image of your Son. Grant us this grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith. This question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism expresses the theological doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Christian, how are you right with God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ, in spite of the fact that my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all the commandments of God and have not kept any one of them, and that I am still ever prone to all that is evil, nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of pure grace, God grants to me the benefits of the perfect sacrifice of Christ, imputing to me His righteousness and holiness as if I had never committed a single sin or had ever been sinful, as if I myself had fulfilled all the obedience which Christ has fulfilled for me. If only I accept such favor with a trusting heart. Amen.